So the first reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, which if you'd like to follow in the uh, Pew Bibles is on page 1173. Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The readings from Psalm 111, and it, you can find it on the sheet, and you can also find it on page, no, page 614 in your Pew Bibles. Praise the Lord. I will extol the, the Lord with all my heart. In the counsel of the upright and in the assembly, great are the works of the Lord. They are, they are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be, rem- to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of the other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the, is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Thank you very much, Chloe. Uh, My name is Bob White and I'm a member of the fellowship here and it's lovely to be with you this evening. And this is a great psalm, (laughs) so I'm really pleased to be able to uh, teach from it. Uh, Before we start, shall I just pray for us? Let's just bow our heads as we sit. Father God, as we ponder tonight this psalm of praise to you, we pray that we may be moved again to know you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly, day by day. 
Amen. Well, do please keep the text of this psalm open in front of you so you can check what I'm saying, uh, either on the service sheets or page 614 of the Church Bibles or on your phones these days. Uh, But the first thing I want to say is actually not in the translation we have in front of us at all. Uh, It's only apparent in the original Hebrew text. You'll see it if you're reading that. Uh, The Hebrew text is laid out as an acrostic. Now, what that means is the first letter of every line is a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, A, B, C, D in our terms. In fact, there's 22 characters in the Hebrew Bible, and there are... In our version, there's, there's ten verses, mostly of two lines each. Now, I want to give you an example of an acrostic. I thought I'd have a go at making one, talking about All Saints Little Shelford. Um, so here's the first bit of it. All Saints Little Shelford, Bible teaching at every service, Christ-centred, preaching Christ crucified, who died to destroy death. Everyone is invited to put their trust in Christ. For we believe in the Trinity... God the Father, Holy Spirit, and incarnate God in the man Jesus. That's an acrostic, except it's not the whole alphabet. (laughs) Well, I was going to challenge you to make the whole alphabet, because I haven't done the second half, and that's got the Q's and the X's and the Y's and the Z's. So if you do one, I'd love to see it. Well, why do you think the author of Psalm 111 did this? Do you think he was just showing off how clever he was? Well, he was clever to do it, uh, but I don't think that was the main reason he wrote this psalm as an acrostic. Actually, I think he was trying to help his readers memorise this psalm. Because it was probably sung as a hymn of praise at all the major festivals of the church, like Passover, uh, well, of the synagogue, I should say, like Passover and so on. And, of course, in those days, they had no hymn books, they had no Xerox machines, they had no overhead projectors, and they probably only had one scroll with the scriptures written on it, which was held at the front of the synagogue. So they had to memorise the hymn. And being in this acrostic form would help them to do that. Just in the same sort of way as many of our hymns have rhyming words at the end, as you'll see in the next hymn when we sing that, you'll notice that. So although the acrostic only works in Hebrew, actually the content of the psalm is of course the same in our translation, and that's what we're going to look at next. If we can have the next psalm, oh, we've got it, this is amazing, <laughs> it read my mind. Um, This is the outline of that psalm. It's actually very straightforward. It's bracketed by praise the Lord at the beginning and the end. And then in the middle there's really two sections. So the first half up to the first half of verse 7 reminds us of the works of the Lord. And the second half reminds us of the words of the Lord. That's his commands for how we should live as his people. So we'll leave that up for a while. Uh, Let's start at verse 1, and we'll just go through the psalm and see the many reasons that the psalmist told us to praise God. Praise the Lord, says verse 1, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Do you notice how we're to praise God according to the psalmist? We are to extol him. Now that means to 
encourage one another about what God has done. Uh, maybe in small groups of Christian friends or when you're out for a walk or having a coffee with somebody else. That's the council of the upright, the smaller group. Uh, and also in wider public meetings, which is like what we're doing now uh, in church services, the assembly it talks about in this psalm. And we're to do it not half-heartedly, but with all our heart, the psalmist says. So that kicks us off on the right path. And let's dig into it. And verse 2 is, is one of the great verses of the Bible, I think. It's a great verse. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. I'm so glad it's our verse of the month. Uh, because actually it's a charter for scientists. The works of the Lord are great, and we're told to ponder them, to delight in them. And as many of you will know, I'm a scientist, I'm a geologist, and I've been privileged to spend the whole of my career studying God's creation. So how good is that? Especially when you get paid for it. Um, actually, it's so good, I'm still doing it, now. I'm not getting paid to do it. Uh, and I think science is a great Christian vocation. And that's something I think we should tell, certainly all our young people here. It's a great vocation to go into. And I wonder whether you know that this very verse is carved in oak above the doors of the old Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge Town. Some people know that? A few do. Uh, we'll have a picture of it in a minute on the next slide. And, of course, it's written in Latin when the next slide comes up. Uh, here it is. Uh, it actually says, Magna opera domini esquisero in omnes voluntatis eius. Uh, it's Psalm 111, verse 2. And you can take your friends there and show them. And because you've memorized the verse of the month, you can very <laughs> cleverly say, I know what this means. But actually, it was carved there above the Cavendish Laboratories. And you may know this is the place where Rutherford first split the atom, the first person in the world ever to split the atom. And when the new Cavendish was built in the 1960s, on the next slide, uh, you'll see that it's got the same verse. Actually, this is a Coverdale translation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Not such nice doors, really, are they, um, as the one on the old Cavendish, which incidentally is near the Eagle Pub in town, if you know the Eagle Pub. I, I mean, I think it's amazing that this was put above one of the premier physics laboratories in the world, isn't it? Uh, and it's... A very recent view, I think, in the 20th century that science and Christian faith are at loggerheads or somehow that a scientific explanation of God, a uh, scientific explanation of some phenomenon renders God unnecessary. So if anybody ever suggests that to you, it's simply untrue because this very verse and the Bible in general encourages us to ponder God's creation, to understand it, which is what scientists try to do and I think it's one of God's uh, enormous blessings to us as the human race that he's given a world that we can understand by science that is understandable by us because that may not have been the case but we can use that understanding for the good of humankind as it has been in many many areas now some people will say that if you're learning scientific truths about the world that it's just nature and that's not God but again, this verse gives the lie to that. And in fact, Augustine said this in the 4th century. He said, nature is what God does. And actually, a, a church father called Tertullian said that before him. And the Bible said that before him. 
This is the way God acts in the world through nature. So just by saying we're working on nature, it doesn't tell you that you're not studying God's creation. And many, many scientists through the ages uh, have done their science with that understanding. And here's some of the many, many deeply Christian scientists uh, who have fostered the understanding we have of the world now, including James Clark Maxwell, for whom the Cavendish Laboratory was built. I could talk for ages about those, but I won't. Um, I just think, as I say, science is a great Christian vocation, and it's a really good thing to spend your life doing. Uh, Next slide, I think. We'll go back to the outline, uh, get back to that now, uh, and I'll leave that up for the rest of this talk. So let's move on to verses 3 and 4. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, that's God's deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Now I love the coupling in these verses of God's material creation on the one hand and his ongoing spiritual activity on the other hand. And that's why I say there's two parts to the works of the Lord. Um, There's the fact he created the universe in the first place and there's his ongoing sustaining of the world working in it for his will to be done and in verse 3 we can see that his deeds are glorious and majestic Uh, that's his creation and then his righteousness his spiritual aspect of it endures forever in verse 4 the psalmist tells us to see and remember the wonders of his creation at the same time as the Lord is gracious and compassionate in his dealings with us So this psalm is proclaiming that the material and the spiritual aspects of life belong together. In just the same way the Bible sees humans as being body and soul of a whole. Uh, You can't have one without the other. And that will be the same in the new creation, we're told. We'll have bodies there. Another thing this, this hymn of praise that Psalm 111 is, reminds us, is that awe and wonder are a right response as we contemplate and experience God's creation around us and as we see his hand operating in it around us. I think that's an aspect we've sort of forgotten a bit, isn't it, in our daily lives. Uh, I think we often push it aside in the busyness of our lives and we forget just to stand and appreciate that awe and wonder of God's creation. And the psalmist reminds us to remember the wonders of his creation and remember how glorious and majestic his world is. Now, I suspect that all of us experience that awe and wonder, maybe for fleeting periods in between trying to get the baby's nappy changed and the washing done and the dinner cooked and all the other things we have to do. Uh, Maybe it's a glorious sunset or maybe it's the raging sea, or maybe it's a flat, calm sea reflecting the stars at night. I mean, for myself, uh, something I always just remember as a moment is standing in front of a a volcano erupting in the middle of Iceland, which was fire fountain in crimson to 100 metres above us, and we were just a few hundred metres away. Absolutely glorious. And then above us, there was an inky black sky with pinpricks of stars in it, and behind us... Uh, there was the northern light playing in in green. I mean, it was stunning, and (laughs) that was very special. And I thought, 
gosh, how much better that is than many of these artistic installations that people put together. God's installation is amazing. But it doesn't have to be something sort of dramatic like that. Uh, This wonder and awe can come from noticing everyday things around us, like, you know, an intricately beautiful flower blossoming by the side of the pavement or through a crack in the concrete. And the psalmist is encouraging us not to let these moments pass us by, but to recognize them as the creator God's gift to us and to praise and thank him for them. So let's move on to verses 5 and 6. And the tone slightly changes here. Verse 5, God provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. So the psalmist here is clearly harking back to the exodus from Egypt when the Israelite nation was rescued from slavery. You remember he provided food in the desert, he provided manna, and he enabled them eventually to settle and invade that land, the promised land, that it took them 40 years to get to because of their disobedience. But actually I think these verses, although they were looking back to the Exodus for the first people who sang this hymn, they're equally relevant to us today. And indeed every Sunday as we have just done, we repeat the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Asking him to give us today our daily bread. And I think that's a really helpful reminder of that link between our practical material needs, in this case daily food, And our spiritual need for redemption and restoration of our relationship with God. So that's the first half of the psalm. It deals with God's works in creation, in the material world, and in his working in this world. And as the first half of verse 7 summarizes it, the works of his hands are faithful and just. He's faithful in all he does. And actually that faithful and justice is a rare commodity, I have to say, amongst humans in this fallen world. And we should praise God for what he is for that. Well, let's look at the second half from the second part of 7 and verse 8. It switches from discussing God's works to discussing his precepts, which means his words. All his precepts are trustworthy, it says. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. Well, the Bible uses this word precept, which comes from the Latin to teach. And God actually teaches us through the Bible how to live through his word and through his commandments to us. This is the way we know how we should live in this world. And we should live in concordance with what he says, both because it pleases him And because living in this way is what is best for humans, made in God's image, living in this world. And God's word to us can be trusted, the psalmist is proclaiming. It doesn't change, it's established forever. Now, unlike God's word, I'm afraid the norms of our secular society do change over time. And often they seem to change terrifyingly quickly, don't they, even in our short lifetimes. But God's commands don't change, they're established forever and ever, the psalmist says. And as Christians we should obviously seek to conform to God's word for how we should live, rather than to the fleeting and ever-changing ways of the secular culture 
around us. And of course, this isn't always easy. It can take courage to go against the grain of what our secular colleagues are saying. But I think there is absolutely no doubt that living in God's world, in God's way, is always the best way for us to live. So finally, let's move on to the last two verses, 9 and 10. God provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So again, at the end of this hymn of praise, is a reminder that God ordained his covenant, his promises to us, to endure forever. This is a repeated theme through this hymn. Though we may change, God doesn't, is the message it's telling us. And redemption, of course, would have been remembered by the Jews as that rescue from being slaves in Egypt. But we know now that through Jesus, there's redemption available for us. And we were reminded, actually, in the last verse of that reading that Mandy read to us from Ephesians, um, that the same will be true looking even further forward to the new creation. In the fullness of time, it said in Ephesians, God will bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. And that indeed is something to praise God for, isn't it? And again, in these words, uh, at the end of the hymn, we see the call to awe. So earlier in the psalm, it was awe of his works in creation, and here it is awe for what he's done in redeeming us, in restoring that relationship we lost between ourselves and God by rebelling against him in the first place. And finally, this famous phrase, we're called to fear the Lord because it's the beginning of wisdom. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, this verse, but the fear here doesn't mean frightened in the sense that we often use fear of being frightened of something that might happen. I think it's, it's better described as reverent awe of God before a holy God who has made us in this world. And the psalmist is saying that sort of attitude towards God of reverent awe to a holy God is the beginning of wisdom. Now at the end of the sermon it's, it's very common, isn't it, to suggest some practical practical applications of the uh, passage we've just been looking at but in this case the psalm tells us the application in its final verse that's made my job easy isn't it the the psalmist says that all who do their best to follow God's precepts that's his teaching and his commandments given in his word they will have good understanding in other words they will become better aligned with God's purposes and his teaching for how we should live as his people in this world. And as we heard in the prayers earlier, that will enable us to become more like Christ. Maybe tiny step by tiny step for myself, but that is the direction we're travelling in, isn't it? Which will be reaching its fulfilment in the new creation, where we'll be completely the people God intended us to be and created us to be. So, 
As we walk out from church tonight and we go, no doubt, into a busy week, this psalm tells us that we should have a continual attitude of praise to God, both for his works and his words. And we can look in awe at all he's done, both in creation of the material world and all he continues to do with us and with this world. And most of all, we can remember with that right awe, all he's done in securing our redemption through Christ, in restoring that right relationship between us, his people made in his image, and God, the creator. And we should seek to understand and put into that practice those commands he's given us for how to serve him and others, because living in God's way, in God's world, is undoubtedly the best way. So let's pause and pray for a moment uh, before we'll then move on to our final hymn. Our creator God, we thank and praise you for all you have done in creating this world in which we live and for your daily work in sustaining both the world and ourselves. Please open our eyes to see you at work around us and help us to conform ever more closely to your purposes for us by learning and putting into practice your precepts, your teaching in the commandments you have given us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.